Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to What Are Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, Northampton Town Audio Show, the podcast equivalent of a Trevor Quo PFA showdown. I'm Tom Reed, and although it's the month of the January blues, I'm joined by a group of guys wearing claret-coloured spectacles. It's Andy Bodfish, Martin Maloney, Ian Brandt, Brendan Walsh and Jefferson Lake, all present and correct. How are you doing, guys? Hey, everyone. Thanks, mate. All good, all I good. Got this <laughs> it's good to have a full compliment on the, uh, on the go. Andy, how are you doing, buddy? Have you got a football moment of the week for us? Uh, yeah, I have. My uh, football moment of the week is hot off the press. Nice. Um, just, just a story that I saw um, from early this afternoon. Um, that Juventus footballer Cristiano Ronaldo is being investigated by Italian police over a trip he allegedly took to celebrate his girlfriend's birthday. Now, you know, footballers and coronavirus... We know they live in a different bubble and um, innocent until proven otherwise. But the reason, I, you know, the reason I know he's guilty of sin is because, um, you know, that crucial phrase, now deleted footage posted on social media. And that, that's, that's, all you, that's all you need. His girlfriend, <laughs> put a vi- his girlfriend put a video up. It's now been taken down. Sorry, you banged to rights. Let's throw the book at him. He, he, he travelled with his girlfriend this- for her birthday to a ski resort and they were frolicking around in the snow um, and, you know, someone was filming it and, way wicked. Oh, oh, perhaps you should be doing that. So sure enough, it gets, um, it gets deleted. And um, that's all you need to know. He's guilty. He's guilty as sin, mate. Was Les Dennis not filming it? Like he was that, um, <laughs> that Cornish team that had a, had a illegal COVID party in an Airbnb. I don't know if he was spied on him. Maybe uh, there's Dennis, the, the star sea of COVID. Yeah, yeah, he might try and chat with his, like, you know, like you can imagine it on a Monday morning on BBC One about 10 o'clock for the old pensioners, Les Dennis COVID watches or something, where he, like, <laughs> yeah. sneaks around. That'd be a good little franchise, I think. He sneaks around, you know, um, Airbnbs around the country, trying to catch him out. Trying to, is there any noise in there, whatever his wife's called? Any noises? Can you hear anything? She's absolutely gutted, realising Ian actually asked the question. Um, with Les Dennis as the subject, and none of us answered. I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very partial to that. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just do this at the end and edit it back in? Uh, I definitely. Uh, Les, I'm not that young. I definitely remember Les Dennis. Although most of what I remember him from is uh, his cameo in Extras. In Extras of Ricky Gervais. Brilliant. But that's all you need to yeah. know. Thank you for prompting no, me. That, it was wet. 
Vendon, what that was that Andy was referring to, when he started out, he was like a sketch comedian. He was like, you know, an up-and-coming <laughs> guy. He was he was the James Acast. That's of literally about to say the Acast. <laughs> the Acast, you know. They used to do like a Corrie, Coronation Street sort of sketch, and he would pretend to be, um, oh, what, who was Mavis, it? Um, Mavis. Mavis, Mavis, Mavis. Mavis, yeah, and he used to always do that. It was really good. So, yeah, if anyone does mention Liz Dennis, it is like among our generation, you have to sort of say that. Well, I didn't really do. I did really do. I've, I've only just <laughs> recently got into James A. Caster, which feels feels strange. I feel like I've been sleeping on him as he's like the comedian adopted by the county now. But I, I, I found yeah. in um, my lockdown insanity a load of videos where he basically went around Kettering called Sweet Home Ketteringer, I think it is. And then there's another one where he went to Lahnstein in Germany, which is the town that Kettering's twinned with. And then he uh, just like, did loads of goofy stuff around that. It's all on YouTube, so I would implore everyone to go watch it. It's really, really cool. probably won't work as well until James Acaster hosts a popular Saturday night game show as well, between sort of half yeah. six and seven. Did you, ever, did you ever see Family Fortunes, Brendan? I've seen Family Fortunes, yeah. It's still on Dave. Still on is Dave. It? It is. Yeah, yeah, you can get all of that stuff. What's the other one that's always on there? It looks very, very dated. Uh, um, they basically play darts. Got to have bullseye. a bit of that one. Oh, bullseye. Bullseye. Oh, bullseye's yeah, brilliant. I, my, like, being a student, to me, was drinking white ace in the day watching Bullseye. <laughs> Helped to convince a murderer, Bullseye. Really? Yeah, it did, but, yeah. Did you see that recently, the Pembrokeshire murders? Yeah. No. On ITV? I know the program. I didn't watch it. Yeah, a guy, um, <laughs> a serial killer who stalked the Welsh Valleys um, in the eighties. We got away with it. Did anyone else see this recently? Yeah, no. I, I read about it. I read about it, and the uh, it's true. In my head, he goes on bullseye, and he's like so good at darts that they go, "Well, he must have killed all those people with darts." <laughs> That's why you're kind of hinting that <laughs> in my well, no, but... they got nothing. So I like to think in my head that he's just they didn't win the kitchen, so he was just <laughs> fucked off for a month and then <laughs> stabbed a couple to death. Anyway, it's a lovely side tangent. Yeah, it is. As, as usual, you forgot about what we're talking about. But going back to um, Les Dennis, he can also do a very good Frank Spencer impression, which I think for me is the epitome of impressions. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, um, what the hell are we talking about, Andy? Completely. Oh, we're talking about um, Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Getting, getting, you know. <laughs> Ronaldo de- deleting social media posts is, is my point. Rearing its ugly <laughs> head again. And that's like someone seeing you wiping blood off a blade for me. <laughs> From Ronaldo to Bulls. Why are you deleting it? What's the guilty conscience? Why are you doing it, mate? <laughs> yeah. What have you got to hide, Ronaldo? Exactly. <laughs> on, that, on that bombshell. Martin, you're refreshed from talking to Craig Adams about the good old days of the county grounds. Listeners will be able to hear a little excerpt a bit later on. How are you doing, Martin? Um, have you got a football moment of the week? I have. It's a, it's a rather munda- mundane one um, this week, but absolutely thrilled to see Sheffield United win at Man United, especially coming so close to the anniversary of um, Chris Wilder taking over in 2014. Um, so, yeah, yeah. No, nothing bigger than, you know, a club that we've all got a bit of a soft spot for because Wilder's there having a terrible time of it this year, but going to like a resurgent United and winning, you know, that, that gave me a big smile. 
Yeah, it was a great one, wasn't yeah. it? And it was a lot of it was on Twitter and stuff, and a lot of Cobblers fans were sort of joining in and really enjoying it. It's like a beautiful moment. Yeah, it's a, it's a really nice moment, isn't it? Everyone loves a, I was going to say cup set, but it was in the league. Everyone loves an underdog, um, and it's always good to see. So yeah, that that was a that was a really good one, Martin. I think um, everyone likes a, that sort of result. What's your football moment of the <laughs> week? My football moment of the meet with me. I've got me. You got me obsessed with meat now. <laughs> my football moment of the meat. Yeah, there's a non-league club that got given loads of meat by local butchers for winning. No, um, my football <laughs> night moment of the week. I'm sorry to say, guys, sectarianism has reared its ugly head in Scottish football. Can you believe it? Um, there was. I couldn't. I couldn't believe this. There were 14 complaints made to Ofcom because of um, sectarian comments made. And do you know, anyone want to guess the channel and the person who made those comments? You never believe this. It was on Hibs TV, and it was <laughs> and it was Irving Welsh was covering the game for Hibs TV, the um, Hibs v Rangers game, and he called um, he called one of the Rangers players a current bun. Obviously, obviously, <laughs> obviously. Oh dear, that's fair, isn't it? I'm surprised. I'm surprised there were 14 people watching Hibs TV. Um, but, but they did. Um, I watched Train Spotting over over Christmas. Actually, it's really good, isn't it? I forgot how yeah, good it was. Really, really great excellent. film. But yeah, ever controversial, Irving Welsh. Eh? Not exactly a, a festive family favourite, mind you. Train Spotting. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not. It, I, it was on because like they were doing that thing where they talked about like all the programmes that have been on Channel Four down the decade, and I think it was the nineties. So they showed that after, like, they did a rundown of the oh, um, okay. 90s. By the way, can I just say, speaking of Bullseye, the best Bullseye clip I've ever seen is on YouTube, right? And it is the shortest amount of time that anyone's ever owned a Corby trouser press. Because <laughs> what happened was, you know, the old um, stay in the... Stay in the black and out of the red, there's nothing for this game in for two in a bed. So obviously he mm. wins the Corby. He wins the Corby Trials Press and Tony goes, that's the Corby Trials Press. And then he accidentally chucks it back into the same, you know, the same. <laughs> uh, and he goes, oh, he's lost it. It's, <laughs> mad, it's, like, it's like a 10 second clip on YouTube. I'll, you can put it out on the um, official wallet Twitter if you want, Tom. I'll, uh, okay. I'll send it over. <laughs> Has anyone actually ever used a Trials Press ever? Has anyone like in the whole world ever used one? I, I, I've, I've actually there. used a Trials Press, but I, I, no. I failed at it. If one of the times I, I I took a long flight in the hotel and then I needed to look semi-respectable, so I've tried to get my jean my my trousers looking decent, and I just ended up making them worse. It looked like I was in a, a wedding dress by the end of it. It was all frilly and <laughs> hanging behind me. It was a nightmare. I think I've I've stopped <laughs> in hotels for work where they've had them, and I I can't resist giving them a go, but they don't, they don't seem all that to me. No. Nah. No, I don't know. Well, they made in Corby. Are they a Corby invention or? Yeah, I don't know. Everyone is made in Corby. Every single one. It might be. Is there is there a Kettering trouser press? Could we get a Brackley, <laughs> Wellingborough? You know. I'm very suspicious I, I, about these trouser presses. I reckon there's some sort of conspiracy going on with these trouser presses. I reckon they were like uh, like really early bugs, like. Listening devices for like the CIA or something because they've got no real use, have they? So they're just sitting there in the corner, all like, like all coy there. But there's, there's something dodgy going on with those things. Don't trust them. I'm, I've been Who, trying to press my trousers with a, a CIA planted bug, is what you're trying to say. 
exactly, mate. You know, the, you're, you're the sort of person they're going to bug. Do you know what I mean? You're on the ins- insider, insider information about the record industry. But seriously, there's no real use for them. There's something. There really there. isn't. When it comes out that they are dodgy, you can remember <laughs> for this night. <laughs> Anyone else have cool. a trouser press? The, the Corby Trouser Press brand, because I actually really want to know the answer. I've just Googled it. I don't know <laughs> if it's like um, a brand name or, you know, like Tannoy speaker system type thing. Um, the Corby Trouser Press brand is the genericized trademark for the product. And it doesn't, it's not Corby. John Corby comes from Windsor, Berkshire, but the company oh, is in Andover. This is officially the most partridge it's got for me. Since it I'm is, isn't it? I'm, I'm annoyed I didn't know the, the answers to those questions. It, doesn't, it, doesn't it make you wonder, though, is there a John Windsor that lives in Corby that's never invented anything? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure on Partridge, he definitely is a fan of a Corby trouser press. He takes it apart. He just smells definitely, yeah. But yeah, I'm sure he, he also says in yeah. one of the other ones, and one of his bits on the radio is, he's he, or he explains about how a tannoy is the brand name and not the, the thing as well. Yeah. You're doing well if your company is the one associated with a, a generic product. Mm. I was Nobody says Hoover. trouser press, do they? They say Corby trouser press. I always get mm. it with Hoover. Apparently, it's not a Hoover, it's a vacuum because Hoover's yeah. a brand. Sellotape is the same. You've only just realised that. To be honest, <laughs> I, I hadn't yeah. touched one until I was about 21. And even then, it was some. <laughs> It was a Henry the Hoover thing, and I, I just thought everyone had one. Do you know what I mean? I thought it was the uh, invented by the FBI bloke, wasn't it? it was, <laughs> I, no idea, mate. I think if you think that John, this this ridiculous story that someone called John whatever in Hampshire invented the Corby Charles address, that was invented at Area 51 in America. <laughs> and that thing has spied, spied on presidents, it spied on prime ministers, Soviet leaders for decades, and no one's realised it. Well, and Alan now, Partridge. <laughs> I think he goes on about the tannoy. Is it the episode where he's at the country fair and he's talking on the tannoy? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah that yeah. one. He's like, he's, and he has to judge the um, vegetables, and he's like, oh, yeah, onion or something. And he goes, well, you could use that as a murder weapon, and then <laughs> kill someone yes. and eat it. Yeah. <laughs> I think Just put nice plums. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that everyone's a fan of it on on here and, and is aware of it because there's a couple of times when we've been doing this number night. There's no way that they've said that without knowing that's a direct partridge quote. <laughs> yeah. So um, and yet again, this is absolutely brilliant. I've completely lost the train of thought. We're talking in. I think it was Ian's one we were talking about. Was it? Was it yours, Brendan? I, uh, I haven't done mine yet. No. Uh, okay. So it was Ian. So Brendan, over to you, mate. Give us your football moment of the week. Um, I, I, I had a few. I think at first I was going to say um, my football moment of the week was us finding out where our missing millions went. But all it made me, uh, it made me feel annoyed because I've seen so many people in the forum or on Twitter or wherever just claiming to know where the millions went. And and then they've spent all this money, all this time, all this like, pub, it's, the, it's taxpayers' money to find out. And it's exactly where we all knew like five years ago. It, it's not any different. We know where it went and we know what they did. We've known for a very, very long time, but they've just yeah. had to produce a room's worth of paperwork to to prove it. So I switched that out as, as my my footballing moment. Um, and then I went for um, the, I don't know, I think we it was on the, the wallet Twitter or, or I definitely saw it on Northampton Twitter, but the moment where 
um, Akin Femmer was shaking hands with Jose Mourinho at the end of the Wickham game. And I know what Wickham are, were are a championship team and and uh, not that far away from the Premier League. But really, the way that club's built, uh, it's run by the fans, I think, still. And Gareth Ainsworth looks like he's lead singer in a pub band. Like It's still a small club. And um, for them to have that moment at, at London Hotspur Stadium, whatever it's called, and someone like Akin Femwer at his age and that size to be shaking hands with Mourinho, it just, I don't know, that's, that's why I still love the FA Cup. I wish we were still in it. And it's those moments that I really enjoy. That would be written. That's a. Uh, what the hell was that? Was that a dog? <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think. Yeah, that was probably my dog sat on my lap. Sorry. <laughs> Amazing. I didn't realise. Well, I thought you were doing some like primal screaming or some sort of like you know some sort of meditation. <laughs> I didn't realise it came through. He, he's a French bulldog, so he snores really bad, and he, he's asleep on my uh, lap. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I think you joined the AD Boothroyd cult when you did when you initiation. <laughs> you sacrifice sex. We're going to leave that in blatantly. <laughs> but yeah, it was a, it was a really good one, and um, it was actually in the WhatsApp group. I think that's where we sort of got hold of yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I think um, one of the one of us guys sent a picture, and the beautiful thing for me was I think it was Mourinho and uh, Akin Fenwa just sort of embracing, having a chat, and then there was Son just looking on, and he just looked like one in wonder in his eyes at this scene. Mm. Of, uh, <laughs> Of Bayo and um, and um, Mourinho sort of embracing Jeff. That would have been good for you. I don't want to rub it in, Jeff, but that would have been really good for your book about. Um, yeah, it could have been like an extra chapter, couldn't it? I can feel the story point. goes on. <laughs> um, he uh, he did say I can feel that he'd like to one day manage the cobblers. So maybe he'll it'll be like you know he'll in twenty years time he'll do another volume of his memoirs in COVID. That includes all these managerial experiences mm. he's had. Have you got a football moment of the week? Uh, football moment of the week, uh, non AD Boothroyd related. Sadly, I'm gonna. I'm basically okay. just gonna nick Brendan's because, um, and I was just hoping he wouldn't say it. Which was during the the uh, the broadcast of the Fleetwood game. Someone there was someone visibly looking in their fridge behind <laughs> in their <laughs> in their kitchen window, which was behind one of the goals. And uh, yeah. it's, just, it's just brilliant, isn't it? Like the world, the world continues to turn. Uh, and it got reminded me of. We, we can put it up afterwards. It, honestly, yes. I was sat there watching it. I wasn't watching the game. And then the best bit was he had his light on in his kitchen, and he was he was definitely in his fridge. You could make out that much detail. He's that close to the pitch. He was going through his fridge and getting his dinner out and getting all the bits out. And then I kind of forgot about him the rest of the first half. In the beginning of the second half, all the lights were off in his house. He'd gone to bed. It's the cobblers and feet were playing literally at the end of my garden to the point where you can see what you're having for dinner and he's not fucking ours. I loved it. So good. It reminded me of um, so it's got modern day version of the famous Bill Shankly quote where he said if Everton <laughs> yeah. were playing in my garden I'd draw the curtain <laughs> yeah, um, which was actually um, actually turned out to be sort of a little bit inaccurate because uh, he would always take his dog for a walk at Belfield which was Everton's old training ground and he only lived about five minutes away from Everton really and and so the stories go he ended up actually being a bit of an Everton fan no um, way so yeah one to one to look into there did we ever see what he got actually out of his fridge what he like, was he oh, I, I couldn't give you the brands, but I could definitely see where he was. He was definitely getting out ingredients as he was going. It was so funny. I did. I can't, like Tom. people kept. I don't know. I always do like a half-time tweet about what's going on uh, and and my thoughts. And I barely tweeted in the first half because I was honestly fixed in this guy's kitchen, trying to figure out what 
what Brandy's fridge was, what it, you know, what his address was, all of it. It could have really done us a favour if it was corn, because then we could actually have something to put in the cobbler's A to Z this week, wouldn't we? <laughs> That's a very good one. I just think it would have been really funny if, you know, he got something really weird out, like he got a pint of milk and started pouring it over his head, or doing something really strange. It's uh, like, yeah. yeah something you want to tell us, Tom? Like, yeah, mate, mate, that's what I've done before. That's how I've prepped myself mate. every podcast. Yeah, definitely, mate. But can you imagine, like, if I, as a Cobblers fan, I, and I lived, you know, like where he lived, I reckon I wouldn't be that bothered about looking out my window watching the game, you know. If you watch one Fleetwood game, you've seen them all, so... I would, I would love that. I would know that they're, I'm going to be on TV and I would take the absolute piss. I'd do that. I'd, I'd really nonchalantly walk around my kitchen and then I would take the pint of milk out and put it over my head and I'd start rubbing butter on my nipples or, or just or put up like weird signs or like play music really loud, set some fireworks off. That's very hot at the moment. Like I'd take the complete piss. I'd love it. Uh, I just love that he was so not asked about all of it that there was, um, <laughs> You know, a couple of thousand people watching what he's having for dinner, and it's just um, Let's move on a little bit. We've uh, Brendan hasn't been on for at least one episode, and the last time he was on, we did the legendary quiz, Shawadi Cobbly. I can't even remember what the, <laughs> the title was. It was something to do with Shawadi Cobbly, wasn't it? Shawadi, Shawadi Wadi, or Shawadi Cobbly? Yeah. So we've expanded it because that 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 franchise is run it run out run its course. But the next one is called. Shawadi Cobbley or Shawadi Manager or <laughs> Shawadi you're talking about. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, so let me explain. So the last one was a, for the people that have missed out this legendary uh, quiz sort of theme. The last one was Brendan had to work out if a cobbler's player name, sorry, a, a person's name was a cobbler's player's name or a member of the 77 year band Shawadi Wadi. And <laughs> He did pretty well, actually. Not, you know, not great. But he did pretty well. So this one, Brendan was like, well, we should do it with managers. So this one is basically he needs to work out if uh, the person I name is a ex-Cobblers player or a famous musical manager, music manager. Oh, so I'm going to get in so much trouble if I get some of these. <laughs> <laughs> so think of Colonel Tom Parker, people like that. For yeah. Um, oh, God. Uh, oh, this is going to be really embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> So, and then, just like I do with Martin's Manic Miners quiz, I'm going to throw in a couple of um, fake ones. So that's going to add even more mayhem to the mix. Oh, ah, great. So you're pretty good at picking this, these sort of things up, uh, Brendan. So Shawadi Cobbley is the uh, Cobbley, uh, Cobbley, Cobbler's player. <laughs> yeah. really hard to say. Shawadi manager is uh, the music manager. And Shawadi you're talking about is the one I've made up. <laughs> Uh, yeah. okay. You ready to go, mate? Are you no ready? Yeah, I'm, I've been ready since I was born. Yeah, mate, you were born for this. Right, okay. So the first one, Peter Grant. Is it Shawadi Cobbley, Shawadi Manager, or Shawadi you're talking about? I'm pretty sure Peter Grant is a, a music manager and he used to do um, like a load of the rock bands back in the day. He's like, I'm pretty sure he's like a, a proper mogul. I could be saying that, and I'm actually on about like Peter Katsis or Peter Memphis or someone, and I've just put my foot in my mouth. Um, Peter Grant, not a striker for Northampton? I mean, it could be. The thing is, you always do me on these quizzes because you just pick like John Smith. Who was he? 
there's probably been a John Smith across all of them, you know what I mean? There's definitely a Peter Grant that's played for Cobbers at some point. If you're telling me there's not been a footballer called Peter Grant, I'll call you a liar. But I'm going to go yeah, with you're... my first instinct. I, I, he was a big rock manager in the in the 70s, I want to say. Maybe so the you're 80s. going Shawadi manager? I'm going Shawadi manager. Okay, so Peter Grant was the manager of Led Zeppelin. Boom. There we go. I keep my job for another week. You're in, oh, mate. mate. You're in. <laughs> I, I did. To be fair, it's going to get a lot, lot harder now. I just gave oh, okay. that sort of uh, easy. I think. Uh, yeah, is he still going? No, he's died, Peter Grant. So. Oh God. Okay. All right. Sorry. I'm in it. <laughs> Thanks. So. Um, the next one, Shawadi Cobbley, Shawadi Manager, or Shawadi, you're talking about Gary Flaps. What was that? Is Gary that... Flaps. Gary Flaps. <laughs> Flaps? Is, is that, that F-L-A-P-S? <laughs> Gary Flaps. Is that Shawadi Cobley, Shawadi Manager, or Shawadi you talking about? <laughs> Gary Flaps. F-L-A-P-S-E. Gary Flaps. <laughs> um, I have no idea. I'm going to, just because I think that's a completely made up name, I'm going to go Shawadi you talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Flaps played 395 games for Northampton between 1953. Yeah, no, he didn't. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're correct. It is fake. Gary Flaps. <laughs> I was like, surely no one's made it into the music industry with a name like Gary Flaps. I just got, I just so hard not to laugh. I'm, yeah. I, I did all right. Okay, the next one. Bobby Folds. Bobby, what's that last one? Bobby Folds. F-O-L-D-S. Bobby Folds. We've got um, flaps and now we've got folds. Uh, sorry, if anyone, uh, I think there's some beeping coming from my lounge. The beeping's telling me that he is somebody you're talking about as well, Bobby Folds. <laughs> that sounds like Bobby Folds and Gary Flaps are like made up characters in a in a book. <laughs> oh, like to Ben Folds, Ben Folds Five, perhaps. Yeah. Not not a clue. So you have gone. Sure, what are you talking about? Bobby yeah. Folds was, in fact, a player for Northampton Town. He was a real one, and I'm not joking this time. So that's oh, incorrect. <laughs> Did it, has anyone oh. seen him play? Does anyone remember him? Um, Martin, are you? Any, just anyone Google Bobby Folds for, uh, for me and tell me when he played. He definitely did play. Let's have a look. It's not, it? a name, not a name I remember, certainly. Um, yeah, he would be quite old, I think. Robert James <laughs> Folds. Footballer, born 18th of April 1949. There we go. I mean, I can't really say that's up on... an era I'm too familiar with, but I've got the other two right, so I'll take that. If there is a um, Gary Flaps out there, I'm really sorry that you played the podcast. <laughs> I'm very, very sorry that we have. There's a Gary Flaps that I've worked with somewhere. Somehow listening to this is great. So the next one, uh, David Massey. Shawadi Cobbley, Shawadi Manager, or Shawadi you talking about? David Massey? Yeah. That's, I thought that was a ref. I thought it was a referee. Isn't that Sean Massey? Oh, I've definitely heard that his might be name. A dad. Uh... It's not Shawadi Refi. It's not Shawadi Refi. <laughs> uh, David Massey sounds really, really familiar. I thought it was um, a referee. So... Uh, I don't know. I'll go. I'll go. Shawadi manager because it sounds familiar. Maybe. Okay. Oh. 
somewhere. I like you, I like you thinking there. So David Massey was or is a music executive, British-born American okay. record executive, currently serves as president and CEO of Arista Records in the US. That might be where you know it. I don't um, know Arista Records. Served the president of Universal Music Group's Mercury Records from 2007 until 2013. So Universal. Oh, maybe that's, that's, maybe that's right. Although he's he's in America, so I, I, I won't have anything to do with him. But yeah, but there you go. My, my instincts are still there. They're still sharp. I got sharp, there. mate. And he uh, firstly represented the British new wave group Wang Chung, who enjoyed <laughs> five Chung. US top. <laughs> yeah. All right. During his time, he worked with Oasis, Silverchair, Shakira, Desiree, dropping names now, Franz Ferdinand. So he is a bit of a name. So you've got Nobody that one big. Right? Well, <laughs> didn't they? They did uh, Dance Hall Days, didn't they? You'd know, you'd know it if you heard it. 80s, okay. 80s sort of John Hughes film type song, Wang Chung. Okay. That's all I've we're got. About... <laughs> We'll take it. There's not much knowledge of Wang Chung on here. Okay, so the next one, Brian Lane. You're doing pretty good. You've only got one role wrong, which is Bobby Folds. Brian uh, Lane. Brian Lane. Brian Lane. Shawadi Cobbley. Shawadi manager or Shawadi you talking about? Um, Brian Lane. I love I love this because you're. I can sort of almost hear your brain working. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out if I've heard it before or where. But and then, and then I'm also trying to second guess your head as well because I'm trying to whether you've laid me a trap or something. Uh, Brian Lane again. I'm pretty sure I've played him in Sunday League. Um, so maybe it was a distant relative of a former Cobbler player, Brian Lane. I'm going to go midfielder. Okay, so you're going to go Shawadi Cobbley for Brian Lane. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so Brian Lane was or is. Let's bring him up. Uh, British music manager. Sorry, oh, Brendan. Yeah, he's he's managed a variety of acts, including Catherine Jenkins, Aha, Van Gelis. <laughs> Aha! <laughs> now, listen to this. He currently manages Rick Wakeman. So that's oh, wow. uh, one for the kids. It, it seems like, um, to be polite, he's more of a catalogue manager, as we call it. You know, um, looking, looking after heritage artists, so not an area. I'm more frontline nowadays, so that's my politically correct answer. <laughs> Is that so? Would that be sort of um, artists that don't really record much new stuff and definitely don't really tour at all? Um, it can tour. Cat- catalogs are basically anything that's not new, so you can have okay. you have catalog on on current artists, but uh, a, a, a specific catalogue artist would be and if anything that he looked after there and if anyone that's just anyone that your dad would buy really um yeah. and, and probably you don't, really, you don't hear <laughs> too much about un, unless uh, they're releasing right. like their 46th album or something or a greatest hit okay so you've got one two three right and two wrong so that's all to play for we've got two left Okay. The next one, Shawadi Cobbley, Shawadi manager, or Shawadi you talking about? Gordon Mills. Gordon Mills. Gordon Mills. Oh, again, that sounds really, really familiar, but <laughs> I couldn't tell you where from. Um, uh, well, you've given me... I, have I even had a Cobbler's player? I've had one Cobbler's player, haven't I? I've had two made up. Mm-hmm. I've had two music. So I'm just going to go even, and I'm going to go... He was... Um, 
he was a uh, Shawdy Cobbley. Shawdy Cobbley. Okay, Gordon Mills. Sounds like like a forward in the 70s, doesn't he? He does, yeah, yeah. yeah. Northampton. Then went to Nuneaton or somewhere or, you know, yes, rugby. Torquay. So Gordon Mills, yeah, Torquay. Gordon Mills actually was, yeah, he was a music manager, successful Uh, London music industry manager and songwriter. Yeah, uh, sorry, Brendan, I've tripped you up again there, mate. And Who did he look after? Well, I'm not sure. You can, if you Google him now and look at his picture on, uh, Wikipedia, what a, what a just amazingly put together oh, fella. Mate, he, he managed Tom Jones. Yeah, I'm doing Tom and Jones' he... new album. <laughs> Your oh, predecessor. Well, he has he has actually died. So he died oh. in 1986, so six years before I was born. So <laughs> I let myself off there. Um, no, I had I, I was on on Zoom with Tom's managers the other day. It's his it's his son actually. He's really nice, wow. really nice guy. Um, wow. Yeah, well, so, um, so this fellow Gordon Mills gave Engelbert Humperdinck his name. Now, that's a claim to fame. <laughs> that is a claim to fame, isn't it? Can you imagine just sitting there? You're like, we've got this new act, we need to think of a name for this guy, <laughs> you know, like Chris, Chris, you know, Chris Wade. Uh, we'll go for em- Engelbert Humperdinck. Uh, it's funny as well because nowadays they're trying to get them as short and concise and stylish as possible, like you know, if we're getting like three word names and two word names. And then back then it was, let's come up with something that will get you a wicked score on Scrabble. <laughs> why, why is that? Why is that the trend now? Um, I think because everything's been done before um, right, and it's, okay. e- it's easier to set up. Um, ab- it's easier to market and advertise and brand when it's shorter, but then also if no one's ever used that collection of letters before, then it's easier to lock it in like search terms and, and all the, um, yeah the coding and stuff in in streaming platforms because and then also if people are searching for other artists they might type in your couple of letters and they'll see you as well it's all very very clever and manipulative yeah it doesn't sound very, it, it, very good it's, it's interesting to me this this has been quite an education for me tonight on this, on this <laughs> there you episode, go mate <laughs> you come, come on here for laughs and an education <laughs> Brendan, do you reckon that's why chico got given the name chico um i think his he had more honest intentions behind his name really i'm not going to say that search engine optimization <laughs> and metadata was was any of his like motivation a, behind a true artist chico but i might be taking i might be um you know uh counting him out he could have made a very smart business decision my favorite one is my my friend's band they're called dinosaur pileup which is amazing and it's apparently it's actually taken from um, a scene in a Godzilla film, like a, one of the old Japanese ones, and there's uh, basically a load of dinosaurs, and they all like fight, and then there's a big pile of dinosaurs, and they thought that was funny. But I said to them, like, you know that you basically can only find your band when you search that. It's one of those beautiful things you can't get it mistaken. Yeah. And as soon as you put dinosaur P into any of these search things or streaming platforms, they come straight up and it, it just turned out it was from a Godzilla film and there was me thinking it was all <laughs> malicious and deliberate. Right then, so um, you are three to the good and three wrong, so this is everything now, it's like a last penalty spot kit. Can you do it? The last one. I've, got, right, I've right, got a last minute wrong. penalty. Okay, give it me. Yeah, this is the last one. Right, okay, the last one. Shawadi Corbley, Shawadi Manager, or Shawadi, you're talking about? Robin Wainwright. Robin Wainwright. Robin Wainwright. I have not a clue. Not a clue. Um, oh, God. Uh, I'll, 
just to save egg on my face <laughs> this time, I'll say music manager because it's less embarrassing if I get it wrong. Okay. Oh, I'm really sorry, Brendan. Robin Rainwright was the Northampton Sunday. I've skied it. I'm at, I'm, You've skied the last oh, minute here. You've got it. Oh, you're doing so good. Can I suggest that you never really got over Gary Flaps? No, Gary Flaps flapped me. It had me flapping. <laughs> never recovered. Uh, but that I, was, I reckon uh, that you could have a... I could call foul on you for that. It's a red card. You're putting me off. Unsportsmanlike. Sorry, I'm sorry. Like I said, if Gary Flaps is listening, we're not making any <laughs> Just toilet humour. It's an unfortunate day. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll be back uh, probably in the next couple of weeks. We'll think of another way to expand this stupid quiz. But it's quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, right then, let's have a chat with Luke, aka George Weir's cousin, on Twitter about Saturday's opponents, Wigan Athletic. How are you doing, Luke? Seems to be as much about what is going on off the pitch as on the pitch at the moment at Wigan. Yeah, all good. I mean, sort of similar to the last time we spoke. Um, not an awful lot has changed in terms of what's going on off the pitch. Um, certainly with regards to what our situation is at current. Um, but yeah, never a dull day at the moment. Do you think there's anything in that sort of interest coming from what is the ex-Man United guy? What's he called? Uh, Darren Gibson, yeah. So he played yeah, for Gibson. that for a short while. Uh, would be about 18 months, two years ago now. Um I personally look at that and I, I can't see it, but um, I think there's been a consortium from Bahrain that have had their Zoom call today with the EFL. Um, so I think they're probably the furthest along at the moment. I know the Athletic reported yesterday that Gibson's consortium were the ones that were the favourites, but I believe there are other parties who are a little bit further down the line. But um, yeah, since we last spoke in October, we've kind of had four or five of these scenarios where it's felt like somebody's been getting close to it. We had a Spanish group who were um, very close to taking over for about three months. That didn't happen. And there's been various other bidders and the administrators reliably inform us every so often that there are X number of interested parties. But as of yet, for whatever reason, we're still waiting for one of them to, to go through with it all. Yeah, do you know, the Bahrainis, it's really nice to hear some local lads uh, yeah, come sure, get involved at Wigan, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sure they've been fans for years and this is the you know the dream scenario for them. Yeah, they're maybe the uh, Wigan expats in Bahrain. But um, it just seems to me, and this is something I talk about a lot, you know, on Twitter and stuff and with various clubs, that for me, as an outsider looking in, the best people to own Wigan are its supporters. And it's just a shame that with the, the fees involved, it's... It's not entirely practical. You know, ideally, I, I would think Wigan would be a brilliant club to be like 50 plus one fan owned, like in Germany, with yeah. some investment coming in locally as well. It yeah, just seems to be a bit of a play thing for people that, you know, don't care about as much of the club as you do. Yeah, it's, it's, I think one of the sort of real negatives at the moment is it's probably the worst. I mean, there's never a good time to be in an administration. And I'm not saying, you know, we've got it worse than anybody else who's been through it, but with the pandemic, such a bad time, not only um, when it initially happened in sort of August time, but to get to, to you know, near February now and it's still be going on, not only means that we've had, you know, seven, eight months, well, nearly a year now of, you know, no gate receipts like everybody's had, but um, we've also now basically sold off every single saleable asset that we've got pretty much, you know, we've got two or three players left who are worth something. Um, and a lot of these prospective buyers are basically saying you know look if you're asking for 
two million quid for the club and you're then going to go and sell a player for a million, we're, we're not going to pay two million. And um, So I think that's yeah. holding up. I think, like I say, it's a play thing for people, but um, there was a guy who was um, from Wigan. Um, he's lived in Australia and um, the Far East, I think, for about 30 years now. But he had some big backers behind him who were very, you know, supposedly very interested. He made all the right noises. He was promising this and that. Um, and that kind of, it looked, it, it did seem a bit too good to be true, but it looked a little bit promising in the sense that, you know, there was an opportunity that we could keep the club Wigan owned. Um, but again, that fell by the wayside. He claimed that the administrators were too difficult for him to deal with. Um, so I think that, yeah, that is the ideal scenario. But I think we're we're past that, unfortunately. Um, my belief is whoever takes over is going to be a short-term owner. I think yeah. they're probably going to be a stopgap um, between, you know, now and hopefully something a bit more stable. But I think, that, you know, the price that we're going for at the minute, a couple of million, I think whoever buys us is just looking at it as probably a short-term investment, maybe try and turn it round, make a little bit of a profit in the near future. Um, mm. Uber's on, which, you know, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It would leave us in a better position than whoever comes in um, would take us up at, but... Yeah, we're just going to have to wait and see. It just seems that Wigan are in a state of flux from... You've, you've supported the club for quite a long time. And mm-hmm. those days from Springfield Park, we remember going up with us Northampton fans up to Springfield Park. It wasn't a glamorous place at all. And then, you know, the Dave Whelan years, it's so well, so well for the club. And now to be on the sort of downward trajectory, it must be strange as a fan because you've seen the highs and the lows and you're going down again. It's, well, hopefully not, it's, you know. It is really strange. There was a point, I think it was a couple of nights ago, where I was I was just sat down thinking about it, and there's times where you think, I actually can't believe what's gone on in the last sort of six, eight months. It's not really settled in, and I think a lot of that is to do with, obviously, with football being behind closed doors. Having not been at a game, you know, um, for 10 months, I haven't seen with my eyes, I haven't seen this team I haven't seen this, yep. you know, managerial self. I haven't seen any of it with my own eyes, and that almost makes it more difficult to believe what's gone on. Mm. Uh, but like you say, yeah, it's, it's been a bizarre. You know, I've supported Wigan now since '96, um, and yeah, I've seen us in all four divisions, both domestic <laughs> cup finals, seen us play in Europe, and now it feels like we're going to end up back where back where we started 25 years ago. I mean, and obviously, you know, I'm 30, but there's there's fans who are obviously much older than me. You've seen us in, you know, several tiers of non-league as well. So I can only imagine what it's like for them at the minute. Yeah, yeah. I know some of the younger Wigan fans that have, you know, it's, it's fine and everything because they've seen a lot of success and stuff and maybe you know, don't really understand the you know, complexities of life down in the lower leagues and just, yeah. you know, want success and all that comes with it. It might It's obviously difficult for them, but I think the sort of old school Wigan fans, if you ended up in League Two, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Obviously, you want to be as hyper as you can, but I don't think you know you'd be losing like loads of sleep over it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think for the younger lot, and again, it's it's not their fault. And I'm sort of probably on the cusp of that that group anyway. I think social media, yeah. the way that that is, probably makes it a little, a little bit more difficult for them because it's it's not just the same as you know you go to a game, you get beat, you go home, you go to the pub, whatever. Now it's like you lose a game and. You're getting ribbed by whoever you've lost to. You know, like we lost to Blackpool at the weekend, five yeah, nil. Yeah. You know, yeah. the the club tweet the result out, and we're getting stick off Blackpool fans. We're getting stick off Barnsley fans. We're getting stick off Bolton fans. And I think for them growing up in that, 
League Two means that you just see more of it. You just see more of that kind of abuse and more of that ribbing. And I think that makes it a little bit more difficult. Whereas I think, yeah, the old lot kind of, you know, it's water for ducks back in that sense. But um, yeah, I mean, League Two, it doesn't, you know, I'd, I'd take that all day long over what Berry have got at the moment. So things could be worse. Yeah, I think you made a really good point that the way that modern football is, in the past, you'd have a game on a Saturday you'd you know you'd go on the terrace have a few beers and then there was not not there's probably be a sports pink where you're from or green paper or whatever after the game but apart from that you read a little bit in the sunday papers but there wasn't the media we had to go into everything in minute detail and yeah. through the week and stuff you'd forget about football for a week but you can't forget about football anymore and i'm i'm as guilty as everyone else you know it's part of what i do but it's just um i sort of long for the days where you just went on the terrace and you know and it was just it was just a momentary thing and something yeah. you look forward to maybe later on in the week but it's just all consuming now but I guess yeah. that's the uh that's the beast it is now um Cobblers won three I don't want to bring it up again but Cobblers won three two at the DW in October um it's that was a close game with a lot in that but fair to say neither team's season has taken off yet and what's your your recent form obviously you mentioned the five nil of the Blackpool yeah it looked like you had some reasonable form before that not too it's, bad it's been really weird lately because I mean we've lost I think one in the last six um we, we seem to be in either really tight games. So I think we've drawn uh, we've drawn three of the last six games where we've had a couple of 1-1s um, and a 0-0. And then either side of that, we've had a 5-0 battering at home by Rochdale and Blackpool. Um, we went to Burton and we won 4-3. We drew 3-3 with Rochdale. And just before that, would be Accrington 4-3. So there's been, you know, whereas when we last spoke, we were absolutely... You know, we were struggling so much to score a goal at that time. Um, and, you know, the manager's changed since then. Um, quite a few more of the younger players have sort of begun to have a more sort of pivotal role in the eleven. You know, the, the two players, for example, who scored against you guys were Joe Garner and Tom James. They've both since left. There's a bit yep. of a revolving door. Um with players coming in on short-term deals and whatnot. So, yeah, recent games have been really, really weird. You know, we played Fleetwood last Saturday and it was nil-nil, but we probably had the better chances and we probably should have won that game. And then I think I think there's a lot of players in that team at the moment who aren't used to playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, and it almost feels like at the minute they can, they can really cope well with one of those games and really give it a good goal, but it takes so much out of them that the next game um, we seem to be struggling with a little bit. But having said that, like I say, you know, we've had one defeat in six, which is a lot better than um, how we started the season. And I think if you'd have sort of given most fans the points total that we've got at the minute six weeks ago, we'd have probably snapped your hand off for it. Difficult one. You've got a very, well, you had a very talented youth system there with a lot of decent youth players coming through. And it seems like in the transfer window, you've done quite a lot of business. I, I saw his three or four signings, was it? And including uh, Zach Clough, who I've always rated. He's a good player. Yeah, so we've got Clough in. Uh, we've got a lad in today from Aberdeen, who I believe played for Scunthorpe and a couple of other um, English clubs before. Yeah, uh, We've brought in three or four defenders. Um, Defence is just it's just mad. I mean, there's barely a game in the last sort of probably 10, 12 matches where we've fielded the same back four. It feels like we have Tom Pearce at left-back, who's pretty much a mainstay. But other than that, yeah, we've gone through two or three right-backs. We've gone through five or six sent halves plus the kids who played there um so i think the back four at the minute is, is the place where we're really kind of struggling for a bit of consistency 
Um, we've, we've got a few of the kids playing. Like We've got a guy up front called Kyle Joseph who's got five or six goals now this season, but he's yeah. the latest one now. Kid comes through, 18, 19 years old, has three or four good games, you know, championship club money's on the table. Um, so it's a case of trying to keep hold of them for a little bit if we can. Uh, yeah. But, it, you know, it is a positive that we're trying to, that we are bringing new faces in and a few more senior bodies. Um, we'd hope probably for a couple more before the end of the window, if possible. But obviously beggars can't be choosers at the moment. It just seems like it's all building up for quite a big six-pointer. You're going to really mm. want to beat us to try and keep, you know, keep your head above the, the line and stuff. And just because if you lose against us and we're... <clears throat> relegation in a relegation battle it's it's not a, a good sign for you and our, our fans are saying if we lose against you you yeah. know we're we're looking we're looking dodgy for relegation so i reckon on paper it should be quite a toe-to-toe game that's a sort of game i like to watch but with keith carl keith carl can be quite conservative so i'd be interested to see if he goes for it on saturday or he yeah. just tries to nick it on the break what do you reckon your manager's going to do I mean, to be fair to him, we've got Liam Richardson in charge at the moment, who was Paul Cook's assistant. Um, and he said from pretty much day one, like, you know, we're not really going to... He's not said we're going to go gung-ho, but he's basically said we're not going to sit back, we're going to go for it. Um, you yeah. know, we've got, as I said, some some decent young players going forward. That's definitely where our strength is, I would say. You know, even in the games where we've dropped points recently, we've still managed to create chances, which was an issue for us earlier in the season. So I think... Playing to our strengths, we'll we'll go for it. Um, it would be pointless us sitting back. We just we you know we don't have the defence for us to say you know we'll give the opposition 60, 70 percent of the ball when you break us down because you inevitably would. So yeah, um, I know you guys haven't scored many goals this season, but I, I think there could be a few in this one. Yeah, yeah, it's just just get the feeling that there might be a bit of tentative first 10 minutes, first 20 minutes or something, and then there's going to be periods where we're going to have to go through it. We went quite sort of hell for leather the last 10 minutes against Fleetwood. We actually drew against them nil-nil as well. But yeah. uh, they were fairly difficult to break down. But yeah, we're the lowest scorers in the league. So, you know, realistically, we need to start hitting the back of the net a little bit. Um, do you reckon you can beat the drop? It's obviously only halfway through the season, so it's a bit of a difficult question. But are you optimistic or are you, do you have sort of that red, you know, that sinking feeling? Um, no, I think we can. I mean, at the moment, we're... Uh, I think we're two points off safety at the minute, which is you guys, I think. Um, so, you know, we're definitely not out of it. We're in a much better place, I would say, um, than we were six or seven weeks ago, you know, with that one defeat in six. And the the younger players that started the season just quite simply weren't ready for League One football. Um, there's a couple of them that I'd probably say that's still the case, but a few of them have kind of grown into it. They look comfortable at that level now. And if we can get a couple of senior players in, um, that will really help us. Um, keeping people fit will be um, be a big thing as well. Um, I would say at the minute, I'd probably be 50-50 on it. I think there's a chance we can do yeah. it. I certainly wouldn't say I was overly confident we will. But, you know, I think we're, we're only sort of three points off 16th, 17th place at the minute. So... We've definitely got, um, you know, we've got the games there. We've got the points available there. It's just a case of, can we do it? But I think it's probably the same for, I think Burton are gone personally, but I think everybody else is pretty much in that battle at the moment. I think you're right. We've made some pretty good signings, mostly loans really, but I guess with the financial situation as it is, you can't really complain at loans. But my fear is the lack of goals. And, um, you know, my, my head says, 
you know, we're probably all right in terms of just about scraping up maybe one or two places. But just knowing Northampton as we are, we, we get a hell of a lot of bad luck and we all always get a few injuries. So we've got yeah. a guy called Mikhail Miller on loan from Rotherham. He's a good player, a good attacking player. He's playing really well. Then he pulled his hamstring. Mm-hmm. First game he played. So it's just, you know, yeah. when you just get that bad luck and it does, that is something that I've worried about. So I, I couldn't call it at the moment Northampton. I think obviously Saturday is going to be big bellwether about what happens if we come out with a draw or a win we'll feel a bit a little bit confident but you know i can't really call it at the moment actually saying that i'm gonna have to do a match prediction now so um that is uh i'm gonna have to yeah put my neck on the line what, what do you reckon for a match uh, score prediction um i'm gonna go for two all uh, like i said i think there'll be goals i know you guys aren't really scoring too many of late but i think um the way that we're playing we do, we you know, we do give the opposition chances, but at the other end, we are capable of nicking a goal. So I can see a few in there, and I, I don't think a point would be a terrible result for us in terms of bouncing back from a five-nil loss. So, yeah, two-two for me. Yeah, that sounds realistic. Thinking about it, maybe Keith Carr wouldn't be really upset with a point. A lot of the fans want us to win. You know, they say it's a must-win, but if we came out with the point, I don't think Keith Carr would be. Massively upset with that. So, yeah, I might go with a draw as well. I'm going to go one all. But, um, you know, we'll, right. we'll see. As long as we're both up at the end of the season, that's all that matters. You know, we don't want to be dropping down into League Two again. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Before we um, before we uh, leave, I'll just a new little feature on the people I'm speaking to. I know you're a you're Wigan Athletic fan going back to the 90s. You might even have a shirt from the 90s but I'm just going to ask sort of people what their favourite uh, shirt is of all time so your favourite Wigan Athletic shirt is it a 90s one or is it later just on the edge actually it'd be 2000 so if, I don't know if you remember the France kit from the 2000 Euros with the sort of like the yes. red stripe across um, so we had, yeah. we had Adidas at the time making our kit as well and we had a very very similar one to that um, but just with green instead of red so I've still got one of those knocking about nice. somewhere in the wardrobe is there a, a like, is it a thing up in Wigan probably is that you know the retro kits are quite in and some of the older ones are quite expensive to buy it's down here um, a lot of people are into we had puma in uh in the mid 90s and i think it was a 96 97 season uh yeah. we had a really really nice puma kit and back when we had jjb as a sponsor as well and that one's very popular and i think it was by popular demand that they've re-released it a couple of times yeah people are into it especially the older generation Nice one. We've got a guy on our podcast who spends a lot of money on old retro shirts. They go for quite a lot of money, the really old ones. But um, I'm going to fish that one out and I'll put it on Twitter for us to look at. But thanks for um, taking the time to talk to me and enjoy the game. You know, whatever happens, hopefully we both stay up at the end of the season. Yeah, no problem. Fingers crossed. Take it easy, mate. Stay off Twitter with all your shenanigans, all right? (laughs) (laughs) See you later, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye, mate. Okay, then. Time for a bit of a trip down memory lane from the good old days of the county ground we're pleased to be joined by craig adams currently academy manager at st ives town who played for the cobblers back in the early 90s how you doing craig you're right i'm good thank you tom yeah thanks for having me on yeah no problems i guess in the uh, sort of like preliminaries for this uh recording you've you've pulled a few bits out haven't you and had a bit of a reminisce it must be i nice. have yeah yeah no definitely yeah and i i'm very um proud of my uh doing what i did as a local sort of lad you know as well and it brings back fond memories so yeah I've, 
pulled a few bits and pieces out of the loft um, that I unearthed about 18 months ago when I was going through a bit of a family breakup. So it was good to find them and, and uh, yeah, realise that I still got them. So, um, yeah, found my first professional contract and a few paper clippings and some old team sheets that the gaffer wrote down um, and my name's on them, luckily. So, yeah, just just general bits and pieces. Um, but, um, yeah, that's cool. Perhaps yeah. start off with telling us like what period you were at the Cobblers from and who your manager was or managers. So as a player, I joined the club um, in 1991 as an apprentice. Uh, back in the day, you were called a, a YTS. Um, yeah. And um, I was there uh, until the end of 1993, 94. Um, so I went through... Uh, a few managers because it was a it was like you said earlier before we come on it was uh financially the club were in a little bit of uh, a state um you know we um i remember coming into the bar um as a first year apprentice um we used to be on jobs back then as as uh the youth team so we would turn up with the players early at the county ground and lads would be on uh, changing room duty. Uh, they'd be on um, the family enclosure duty and things like that. And it just meant that you was in charge of putting the T-hern on or uh, being Dennis's go for the physio at the time, uh, Dennis Casey, God yeah. bless him. So you'd be around him if he needed you to go and run for something. You'd go do a runner. You know, you'd go and get something for him. Uh, you'd be on bar duty, so you'd be in the bar washing glasses for, you know, the the, the barmaids or whoever's working there. Um, you'd be fetching and carrying kit. If you were on pitch side duty uh, as a YTS lad, you'd be making sure that the, the cones and the footballs and little bits and bobs were ready for the players so they didn't need anything. Um, and I remember going in the bar after one game, um, uh, just after the, the big exodus of players, and we were being paid in plastic bags from the turnstile. So, you know, the little 50p and 20p bags that you, you used to take to the bank yeah. with the coppers in. And um, I remember being in there and supporters seeing us get paid um, it, we're in pound, well, pound notes, 50 pences and crying um, because of the way the state of the club. Um, yeah. But for me as a player... I didn't care how I got paid, whether I was a YTS lad or when I was a professional. Um, I, you know, it didn't mean, you know, to, to the senior players, your Steve Terriers, your Steve Browns, your, your Terry Anguses, your Stuart Bevans, you know, them sort of players. They, I suppose for them, they'd been there, seen it, done it. And, um, you know, for them to get paid in plastic bags was what the hell's going on. But to me, I, I, I didn't really, it didn't really register. You know, I, I played because I, I loved, I actually loved playing for Northampton. That is the, that is the truth of the matter. I, I grew up in Kingsorp. I went to Kingsorp Purpose School. I sat in a classroom at KUS, I don't know if you're not on top of the hill, so I could see the floodlights of the county ground, wherever, whatever class I was in, I wanted to see the ground, living kids, I walked to the ground a lot of Saturdays when I was a a, a young teenager to watch them, um, you know, especially through them sort of glory years we had when we, we absolutely whiffed Division 4 under Graham Carr and Clive Walker, just um, being in the hotel end when that was all happening as a young kid, and I used to go and stand about eight or nine steps back and just when we scored you'd just get lifted up and you're rolling around in the hotel end like off your feet and <laughs> yeah. it was it was then to sign for the club and then to um 
play under the gaffer, Phil Chard, um, for me was, yeah, I mean, oh, unbelievable, you know, when he took over under whatever the cloud it was under, you know, Stuart Bevan was then his assistant. And um, I'll tell you now, Phil Chard, if he hadn't have been, try and word it carefully, if he hadn't have lost his job the way he had and he was given more time, Phil Chard would have been a successful manager for Northampton Town. Um, yeah. An amazing bloke. He's, you talk about passion or you can hear passion. His, his desire was uh, second to none. I mean, you, Martin, you must have seen him as a player where yeah. before he went to Wolves and then when he came back from Wolves. And I, I remember that as well. And um, he was cheated out of being one of the Cobblers' best managers. I think he would have been, not only because I, I, he liked me, I, I thought the world of him as a gaffer. Um, he was hard done by, let's put it that way, because he gave a lot to that football club. And, Massive, you know, and he was mistreated and and poorly. Yeah, they made him be a player after he'd been the manager. You know that how downgrading is that? So he so he continued to get paid. He had to play for the club. Um, mm. You know, and he would have been a successful manager given the time. He had that edge, Phil Chard. He if he was given. Don't forget the club. Well, you won't forget. You, you know, the, the club had very limited resources money-wise at that time when he was there, and he was still picking up points. You know, he was still doing yeah. his job. He was still getting players in. Um, he was. He. He. Um, yeah, he was basically. I. I'm biased anyway because he was one of my heroes. And as a, as a, when I was a supporter, and then he signed me as a professional, and. Um, yeah, he he um, he was mistreated massively, and he would have been good for the club. Um, do you reckon he, Craig, do you reckon he was a bit too loyal to the club? He could have probably left a couple of times or whatever. He was a bit classy player, and yeah, too um, loyal. Yeah, there, there might have been a bit of that to it. Yeah, I mean, he lived in Northampton. I remember going to see him um, once, not long after I left the club, and just um, thanking him really, um, for everything. And he, I think he lived uh, around Wot, uh, Wotton, I think it was, um, going out on the old New, Newport Pagnell Road. He lived off one of them estates. But, yeah, he was he was very loyal. I mean, he only had about three clubs, didn't he? he was I think he did a bit at Peterborough. Uh, was it Peterborough? And he, yeah, I think he North started. Yeah. Osh came to us, went to Wolves and Wolves back, back. back to us. Yeah, and had a short spell at Kettering. But, um yeah, high, I hold um, the boss in high esteem, 100%. And uh, I'd love to see... I've not, I have not seen him since that day, I don't think, that I've popped round his house. And um, since I was probably not... Well, I might have been nearly 20 then. Yeah, but, yeah, not seen him since. And um, I'd love to um, see him and, you know, and, and see how he is now. And, uh, yeah, but Phil Chard was would have been a brilliant manager, given the time. 100%. And the fans loved Phil Chard. Wow. Yeah, I mean, very much so. They loved him. He gave everything. And that's what Northampton Town supporters, that's what they liked. They didn't really, Northampton Town supporters don't really care if you're not a world beater, if you haven't got the, the, the technical ability of other players. They just want to yeah. see you put that shirt on and yeah. run. And there's nothing that beats energy as, as a Northampton Town fan. If you're giving energy and you're putting the miles in, you will get 
supported whatever you're doing, thick or thin. And I think that's why they loved people like Darren Harmon as well for a season or two, you know. Yeah. Darren mm. will tell you he wasn't he wasn't technically brilliant or or anything, but he was about five foot five, won every header he went for, tackled like a, a rabid dog, ran around like a Tasmanian devil, you know, he was absolutely <laughs> adored by Northampton Town fans. Yeah. And then you'd see him on a, a Saturday night out in town having a few pints of Guinness, you know, with the supporters. That goes a long way with Northampton Town fans, you know, um, and, and being uh, humble as well as a, as a cobbler, you know, if you've got that, the fans, they'll, they'll buy into you. Um, yeah. yeah, that's a good, really good way really to... Well. Yeah, that's a good way to sum it up. And I I believe that myself as well. I guess with Phil Chard, he had that little extra element of class, not just as a player, but do you reckon um, Craigie had that sort of... I think managers do need to have that uh, bit of swagger about them as well, just so yeah. to have the respect to the players. And maybe Chard had that and just didn't get to show it enough for the how long he was at the club. Yeah, so you could, you could take... I think you could take the bosses. If you didn't know him, he, he might come across a little bit um, with a... A, a little side of arrogance as well, yeah. um, and, yeah. I, and, and but it wasn't. It wasn't that. It was he didn't need to be your mate. You know, he didn't. He. It was. I don't know what it was. He just had that little bit of class, and 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 the society in 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 every walk of life are quick to um, try and find a bad point or try and fi- find something yeah. like that. Oh, he's arrogant. He's this. He's that. You know, not every player got on with the boss, but he did. He didn't really care about that. He was just a winner. You know, he wanted to win games, and and um, so if he, um, I don't know, he would say what was on his mind to another player, like in the changing room. If something was going wrong, he would tell them. You know, as a player, as, especially. Um, yeah. You know, I don't forget I was a player when he was playing. Then I was a player when he was managing. So I seen that side of it. I'd be in the changing room some half times as a you know, as a YTS or whatever, um, or as a spare man as well. I was a spare man a lot when there was the days of two subs. I was named a lot as the spare man and I had to travel with the first team and go here, there and everywhere. And, you know, Phil would be the first one to spark something in the change room. If someone wasn't doing their job, he would tell them outright face to face. And he wasn't a fighter. He didn't want to fight. He was just yeah. pointing out, we're trying to do a job. We're trying to win games of football and you're not pulling your weight, you know? And mm. he was, he was, he was, yeah, he, he had a lot about him. How did you get signed for Cobblers in the first place? Were you scouted or was it a school thing? Or yeah, what? so, yeah, I was with Northampton all the way through from about the age of 13, 14. Then I had a year away uh, at the Baggies. And um, yeah, just as soon as they said, do you want to sign full time? Because I thought I'd shot myself in the foot leaving. Um, and, um, you know, dad said, yeah, Brian's rang, do you want it? And I was like, yeah, 100%, I want to sign for the club. So, <laughs> you know, it made sense. I lived in Kingsort, you know, as well. And, um, yeah, so that's how I ended up there, really. And, and being a supporter, I had, I had obviously feelings, you know. So, you know, I, I enjoyed, well, I loved going up there and training. And, you know, when I yeah. I, I played for the reserves at, from an early age because I was, quite big from for what I was you know I was I was over six foot at you know sort of 16 and obviously a centre half back then was just you know your bread and butter was just to go and head the ball and I used to attack the ball and Theo like that and 
threw me in and you know that was how it was so I I got respect I think off the players early because I I the way I probably played and and was fully committed to to a team I was a team player you know I wasn't an individual Craig was it was it like school of hard knocks did they take it easy on you or yes. you just thrown in no it was massive learning curve so um yeah. they would they would make your life hell, some of them, um, in in training especially. And, um, you know, and tell you why they do it as well. Um, so I was, I'll give you an example. We used to train at St Andrew's Hospital um, on a Friday. I always used to play for the opposition in the in the shape work. Again, I was the, the, the target man or the centre-half. So whatever, say, we were going to play a... Oh God, a Barnet, let's say, and they had a Mick Bodley playing for them. I'd be Mick Bodley, and they'd say, right, the gaffer would say, Mick Bodley does this on set pieces, and I had to do what Mick Bodley did. And um, so Terry Angus would be marking me, and he'd shove his elbow across my chest and like mean it, you know, he'd dig it in, and and I'd be like, Fuck, you know, what would you do that for, tell kind of thing, and he'd sort of say, toughen up. He said, if I'm marking you, I want you to play like Mick Bodley, not like you know Craig Adams, my mate. Um, yes, but the, but the games evolve, so the game looks different, and it, and it's got a different physicality to it. Physically, yeah. back then in the nineties was, you know, I remember Pat Gavin smashing my nose playing for Pete, he was playing for Peterborough United reserves. I was playing for Northampton reserves as a first year apprentice. He's got, I've won the first four or five headers. Pat was good in the air. I won the first four or five headers. He come across me on about the fifth or sixth one with his elbow and smashed my nose across my face. I remember being on the on the uh, turf at the county ground. It was freezing cold. There was my blood looked like it was purple pouring out of my face. And he bared over me and he said, "I meant that." And I was yeah. like, "Jesus!" And about three months later, Pat Gavin signed for the club. Yeah. And, That's the um, yeah, he signed for the club and he came in the changing room and we had a bit of a laugh about it. I don't know the exact conversation. We had. I just remember having a bit of a giggle and that was it. And um, yeah, he said I meant it. And he was trying to pay his bills, you know, and I was just an apprentice. And yep. having an apprentice beating you in the air probably wasn't the one when you're trying to pay your bills. And then, uh, so the, my second, uh, so I got took on as a pro at the end of my second uh, second year apprentice uh, I'd had a good year um, as a second year went on loan to Kings Lynn um, played well there and got a deal off the back of that really um, because Norwich City had shown a little bit of interest in me uh, as an apprentice um, being on loan down there and that, I think that forced forced the club's hand a little bit so I got signed as a pro yeah uh, Got my contract here in front of me, £80 a week um, from the 8th of July. So how much was that, £80? £80, Craig? Yeah, I was on 80 quid a week as a first-year pro. Wow. Um, I'll receive an appearance money of £25 when appearing in recognised first-team fixtures through the 93-94 football season. Coca-Cola Cup, FA Cup, Football League, auto-glass matches only will apply. Um, incentive bonus. I did have my incentive bonus sheet, but I've lost it. But I'm sure the Coca-Cola cut to, to get through was about 300 quid. And I was just praying when that Coca-Cola cup it started early in the season to be in that squad, you know, to feel that the weight of that uh, would have been brilliant. Um, but then the club appointed John Barnwell to come in as um, he came in as 
uh, head of football or something ridiculous. But when John came in, things changed a little bit. And I think his mindset was he wanted Char- the gaffer's job, Phil Chard's job. Um, and the senior players knew that. And they didn't really respect John Barnwell at all. So uh, when John came in, he sent me back out on loan, um, told me he didn't want me there um, uh, very early from an early stage. Um, Don't want you here. Get yourself on loan as much as you can. I don't even like you being around the club. Um, So for me, yeah, that... um, Why Why was he like that with you, Craig? Because he wanted my money to pay. He wanted my money to pay. He actually told me who he was bringing in for me and he wanted my money. So when he wanted to get rid of me, he told me there was a young lad at Aston Villa called Gary Harrison. Um, I remember the conversation. He took me in the referee's room. He didn't even take me in his office. Um, He said, I want to bring a lad called Gary Harrison in. We're we're, uh, heavy on defenders and we don't need you. And at the time, that that was absolute rubbish because he was signing some terrible players. Uh, I remember him signing Foxy from Birmingham City. I can't remember his first name. And he was like a barrel. He'd given up on himself. Um, can't remember his first name. Might have been Pete Fox as a centre-half. And I thought I was on the verge of playing because I was doing all right. But he just, yeah. for one reason or another, managers are like it. He didn't, he, did, he wasn't having me. He wanted to fill it with experience. I think that's what he wanted. And this young Gary Harrison, who I actually knew uh, from playing for the county, um, was a forward, so it made sense. I went out on loan, and um, yeah, that was it really. He, he just he took over and um, did it his way. And as as it goes, he was the worst manager the club's ever had, you know. And it's in it's in history as that he finished bottom of the league. And I have a, yeah. I have massive resentment for John because I loved Northampton Town. You know, I was a Northampton Town. I grew up. I was a cobbler through and through. I walk to the club to support the club. I, I, yeah. did, I, I went to away games off the, off the, you know, as a 14, 15 year old getting trains to here, there and everywhere and, and just turning up and singing and, uh, you know, then to play for the club and be thinking I'm going to have a career. I remember Gary maybe coming in and we played Brentford in the youth team game as a second year. I was a skipper of the youth team in the second year. I was captain of the reserves as a first year pro. And, uh, you know, like I've said, I, I had ma- massive feelings for the club. And um, Gaz maybe come in, he said, I can't wait to see you play here for the first team the way you just played then. And I remember that night vividly just because of somebody paying me a compliment. Uh, and I've got that game on video, actually, the Brentford game. And, um, yeah, I, me- I remember it. I remember a lot of things because it meant a lot to me. Um, yeah, sure. And, and yeah. That was how it was. So um, I left at the and end. How of... did you come to how did you come to leave the club then? Um, well, because it was yeah. it literally. So John John really forced me out. I, I left with a couple of months of my contract remaining. Uh, didn't didn't ask for a payout. I didn't want any money off the club. I I I had a bit a bit of taste. I left with like I say two or three months of that season left. Um, I remember one one occasion we had our we had our team photo. This is when I knew he hated me. The club had the team photo for ninety three ninety four, and um, he didn't want me to be in it. So he, he come up to me and said, "We haven't got enough shirts." And um, he said, "So if you if you just go and train with the youth team, um, you know, and 
Jesus, that yeah, that cut me massively. Um, not to be in my first year as a pro for the club, something I'd wanted to do mm-hmm. for years. For him to pull me out of the team photo um, was, um, and I didn't have the I didn't have the balls to prove sort of prove him wrong. Almost, I I went into my shell a little bit um, because I'd never been treated like that before, and um, yeah. And, and he wasn't a Northampton guy. He was, I think he was a Brummie or something. He'd come from a West Midlands way or somewhere. And he didn't know, he, he, he just did, didn't, he just seen me as a number. You know, I wasn't, yeah, yeah. he didn't fancy me and it, it cut me up and and I shouldn't have let it do that. And, um, but I did and that, that ruined it for me. Um, so yeah, I left with a couple of months to go. Ended up um, going to, and I played for uh, VS Rugby, they were called at the time. They're now called Rugby Town, and um, yeah, yeah. Got to finished the season with them and, and did well. We come second in the league. At the time, it was called the Beezer Homes League. We come second to Rushden and Diamonds at the time. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so so um, actually, I, I used to drive into the club thinking, oh, I don't even know why I'm coming training. You know, and I used to love, I was always first to the club. And I I, I can pin, I've, I used to drive through there and I could pinpoint the dustbin outside uh, the ground that's still there now where I used to park my car, where the main stand was. There's a black um, steel dustbin outside and I used to park there every day. Um, and I used to point it out to the kids and I'd say, that's where I used to park when I played for the club, you know. And, yeah, the county um, ground, Doug. Uh, the Great. county ground, yeah. 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 And it was that that ground, the the atmosphere on big games, um, you know, mm. was was fantastic as a supporter. And um, you know, when when they obviously they the Meccano stand was there, and and it was a bit of a blight on the on the horizon really as a football club. But they, we used to that used to help us. You know, teams used to come to us and think and. And and I think they thought, shit, I can't wait to get away from here, you know, go and play t- a, a, our own ground or somewhere better, you know, because it wasn't yeah. the best looking of grounds. But I, you only knew what it meant, that ground, if you was a Cobblers fan, you only really knew what it meant, you know, to stand in that hotel end and sway around and and have that camaraderie. And there, there is a good core of a couple of thousand supporters every week in that, you know, there was um, yeah. at that ground. You've covered quite a few years in just those um, few, sorry, few sentences mate, I have, and stuff. I have just chatting, yeah, sorry. It's, it's, no, it's no, fantastic no, to hear. It's yeah. It's lovely because um, you lived probably me and Martin's dream, really, because we're Northampton lads and we would have loved to play for Cobblers. And maybe maybe that cuts to to a lot of, not of problems, but maybe some players that play for the club recently or now maybe don't understand what it's like when you grow up in the place. But You know, it was brilliant. a good crack back then. It was, it was I think... I think we knew what we was a little bit, even though I wasn't a big time player and I wish I'd have had a, you know, a 500 league game career with Northampton. That's what I wanted. I wanted that. I wanted to be a a club legend and it never happened. And I think that's probably why it still cuts me a bit now with, with how I had to leave. But uh, the players also, you talked about the bigger players there, you know, you, you, your Richardsons, your Terry's, uh, your, your Terry Angus's, your Steve Brown's, your Mickey Bell's, you know, um, there was good players there, Bev, you know, they, that we were all, you know, we were all in it together basically. And it was, it was, it felt like, um, I don't want to sound corny, but it was like a big, like family feel. I don't know how to put it without sounding a little bit, but it was, it, we were tight knit. Let's put it that way. And I'm not saying 
teams haven't been tight-knit since then, but they haven't been in that situation where you're almost half your squad has gone and you've still got to try and win games. It pulls you together a little bit, you know, and, and I think that was what happened. And uh, it was, a, although it was a rough time for the club, it was a good time to be part of that, um, that whole bubble. And the supporters must have felt that as well, Martin, you know, it was, yeah. it was, um, that's how it was, you know, and uh, I have great memories of being at the football club and, um you know, I want to see him do well now. I'm glad they gave um, Keith Curl a bit more time and he might not play everyone's style of football, but he can be effective um, when he when it comes good and that. So, um, you know, good luck to him now as well. well thanks that, for taking the time to talk to us. Martin, I'm sure you've, um, you'll thank uh, Craig as well. Yeah, absolutely, Craig. Really, really appreciate it. That was a really entertaining listen. I don't, I don't envy Tom having to edit it, edit it down because <laughs> I, I don't know what I'd want to leave out. But, um, yeah, no. What we'll do is we'll um, we'll edit it for the sort of main show, and then I'll release it, the whole thing as a uh, sort of a feature length one because there's so many great stories in there. So take it easy, Craig, and um, we'll speak again soon, mate. And you take care. See, See you later. Bye. Cheers, Martin. See Cheers. you later, mate. Bye, guys. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.